choir leading us this morning to worship. I invite your attention to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. We're continuing a series that we've called No Place Like Home. And I want to share a message with you today I've entitled Giving Your Children Back to God. Now let me ask you a very simple question. How many of you have ever given your children back to God? I mean, have you ever really thought about that? And I, I would venture a guess that there's not a parent in here that hasn't at some point in their parenting career scratched their head and wanted to package that little one up and take them back to God's customer service counter and give them back to God. You know, when Stephanie and I first got married, we had three theories on raising children. And now all these years later, we have three children and no theories. We, we toss those out the window. A friend of mine, this, this truly happened, a friend of mine's little boy came to his mom and said, Mom, what do you want this year for your birthday? And she said, I want three well-behaved children. He said, then there'd be six of us. <laughs> Not exactly what she was shooting for. I almost titled this message, For This Child I Prayed. Those are the words of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. I, I mentioned that earlier. She just simply said, For this child I prayed, and God gave this child, and then from there I'm giving him back. That, that's really where this concept came from. Last week I shared with you from Ephesians chapter 3 a prayer that you could pray for your children, a, a focused prayer. And I want to speak a word if I can for a moment. There are many of you in this place that are praying for children. For whatever reason, God's not yet given you children. But that is the case in Scripture often. And I want to speak a word to you even before we begin. I just felt led to do this. Throughout Scripture we see people like Hannah that prayed for a child, like Abraham and Sarah who were given children and others that God provided for them children either through the womb or through the heart. In fact, I was so thankful for Andy and Paul dedicating James and Sam this morning. What a, a powerful thing as, as God has given them opportunity to adopt those children and to, to really see them birthed not from the womb but from the heart. And we're thankful for that. But if you're at a place of praying for children and waiting on children, then, then my encouragement to you is that God can open those doors in His timing. Just trust Him. And, and if your children are already grown and gone, you can still this day give your children back to God. They may be 60 years old, but you can give your children to the Lord. And I want you to think about what does that actually mean? Not keeping your receipt and getting your money back from God, but actually giving them to the Lord. I want to give you three quick thoughts about it. It's there in your notes. And these things are important. This is even before we get to our text. To give a child to the Lord, to dedicate them, to set them aside, means first and foremost, you recognize your child is a gift from the Lord and that they belong ultimately to Him. They're not yours first. They're His and He gave them to you. He loves them more than you do. He knows them better than you can. He has plans for them that you can't comprehend. He knows the end from the beginning. And because of that, when we consider this idea of giving our children back to the Lord, we are saying, God, I am entrusting them to you. But more than that, you're saying as a recognition that they are from you, I trust you. And you need to trust the Lord with them. Secondly, it's realizing that the ownership is His. Realize ownership. 
God is, or excuse me, uh, release ownership of your children to God. You, you need to say, God, they are yours. So you recognize that they are a gift to you, and then you release ownership. You let go and say, God, they are yours. I have them for a time. And as I have them for a time, I've got responsibility to them. I have shared this in counseling in the last month or so with at least four different families. You are not responsible for your children. I have people that are just heartbroken over prodigal behavior in their kids' lives. And they're just heartbroken because they feel like somehow they're responsible. Ultimately, we are responsible to them and to the Lord for them, but they are responsible for their actions. And so we need to guide them. We need to steer them. Proverbs 22, 6 very simply says, train up a child in the way that they should go. It is a God-given command that we would train children in the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. And those of you that are single and not yet at that place of parenting, recognize that this is a deeper issue than even family. But giving anything to the Lord, dedication to the Lord, means that you would recognize that those things are a gift. Your very life is a gift from the Lord. You better set it aside and give it to Him. You need to come to the place of releasing ownership of your own life, of your own plans, of your own money. And, and what I'm talking about really is the word dedicate. I want you to write that at the top of your notes or in the flyleaf of your Bible. Dedicate all things to the Lord. Give them to Him. Surrender them to Him. Submit them to Him. And recognize that He has given them to you as a steward. Release ownership to Him. And then ultimately realize that God has left it up to you to show them the way. It's a cooperative effort. God has planted them in your life for you to show them the things of and the ways of God. Interestingly, we learn far more as we're in that process than we ever teach. I have learned more about the love of God for me by having children than probably any other thing that's happened to me. You know, we've said this before, that your parents, your earthly parents, are a reflection of God, the ultimate parent. He is the ultimate father. And uh, if you had a terrible father, then God is the father you never had. If you had a wonderful father, he is but a reflection of the perfect. And for us, we become that for future generations. Subsequent generations look to our lives and the things that they learn about God, they learn most often in the context of the home. The home becomes this uh, environment in which the seed of God's Word is implanted into the heart and the life of our children. And you need to give them back to God, recognizing they're a gift, uh, releasing ownership, and then ultimately realizing that you have responsibility. As we think about that notion, though, I, I could have taken us to a number of texts. I could have taken us to uh, Hannah in Samuel, and we could have looked. There are classic examples of parents who gave their children back to the Lord. First uh, Samuel 27, 28. Listen to these words. Uh, here's this classic example. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him, and so now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. That word is dedicate, and he worshiped the Lord there. Of course, Mary and Joseph, we see giving back to the Lord, bringing the infant Jesus to the temple on the, uh, following his circumcision at eight days. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. But today I want us to consider Genesis 22 and look at Abraham's call to sacrifice his son Isaac. 
Now, there is rich, layered theology in this story. Obviously, we understand that his activity there on Mount Moriah would be a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ being offered on our behalf. In fact, God provided. That's where we get the language, uh, Jehovah Jireh. He will provide. The Lord provided a ram for sacrifice there. And we know this story, but I want us to, to walk into it for just a moment if we can and really grasp and wring out all of the human emotion because we know the end of the story and we kind of wipe our brow and say, boy, that was a crisis averted. But Abraham didn't have the luxury of the end of the story. God called to him and said that he wanted him, he desired for him to sacrifice his one and only son. We know that this is heightened in its implication because he had prayed for so long uh, for God's promise. God had promised 25 years before that he would have a son. His wife Sarah's womb was barren. They were old. And here at 100 years old, we see him given this son of promise. Some 25 years after the promise. In fact, he promised that not only would he have a son, but he would have multiplied descendants. And all nations would be blessed. And we understand that that is a reference to Jesus Christ coming out of the descendancy of Abraham. And so here is this son. We know that midway through from the promise to the actual arrival of Isaac, that Abraham tried to take things into his own hands. We know that Ishmael was born. But I want you to look at the language with me here. Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. Don't pass that by. God will test us in our lives. Anybody here ever been tested by the Lord? Certainly. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac. Wait a minute, I thought he had Ishmael. You see, in the presence of God and in the promise of God, this was the son of promise. Very similar language. We would see God gave his only begotten son. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. I think that these parenthetical phrases build on one another. Take this son of promise, the one that you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer them as a burnt, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Immediate obedience. We see, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Look at these words. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and will come again to you. Abraham fully knew that he was supposed to sacrifice this son, but there's something about faith that resonates here. I'm trusting the Lord. We're going to go, and we're going to come back together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Can you feel the weight of the moment? 
this hundred-year-old father who has waited for this promise, and this young boy, perhaps a ten-year-old or, or maybe a little older, but this young boy and his father are going off together, and maybe he is an incessant talker. Maybe he's just jabbering. Oh, Lord, I, I, I just can't even imagine that me and my dad are going to get to go on this all-night camping trip, and we're going to go off worshiping, and it's going to be incredible, just me and you and you and me and the Lord. We'll all be there together. And I just venture a guess that Abram's tongue must have felt like a thousand pounds as the weight of this demand from the Lord is there placed upon him take your son your one and only son the one that you love and take him to a place that I will show you and sacrifice him there he had a choice to make where is my ultimate allegiance? Where is my priority? Where is for me my understanding of how much I can trust the Lord? Some of us this very day need to ask ourselves this question. Do I trust the Lord with everything that he's given to me? Do you trust him with your future? Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with your possessions? Do you trust him with the relationships that are in your life? Are you willing to say, God, I know that you know what is best, and so therefore I dedicate all of my life to you? I, I want to be candid here for a moment, if I may. God has asked us in recent weeks as a church family to lay a lot on the altar, has he not? He's called us to a deepening level of commitment in prayer and in service and in giving and in missions, all of us have been challenged. I believe God's doing this in my own heart. It seems like almost daily as we, uh, the staff, are praying, we're sensing God just leading us to deepening places of commitment. And I believe with all of my heart there are tests going on. If we will pass those tests, if we will say, yes, Lord, and we will give him those deepening levels of commitment, he's going to bless us with purpose and future. That's what we see here in this text and in the life of Isaac. If Abram had not done what God said, then we'll see the consequences bear out. And we'll consider these together. But think with me, if you will, for a moment. What God's desire is for us is to begin to place our children on the altar, our family on the altar. Our first priority, our most and highest allegiance ought to be to Christ. In a very real sense, I don't know that I could do what God has called Abraham to do. I'm just being honest. But I know that this is exactly what God is calling me to do with my three children. Give them back to the Lord. Do you know that the best thing that Abraham ever did for Isaac was to tie him and lay him on that altar? To give him to the Lord in surrendered obedience. Think about this with me. Had Abraham refused to give Isaac back, he would have forfeited God's promises and plans for Isaac. Isaac perhaps would have lived and died in obscurity. And yet, here we are reading about him considering this act of submitted obedience. And as we think about that, because Abraham obeyed and gave Isaac back, Isaac received the fullness of God's best plan and promise for his life. We see uh, the lineage continue and we see Isaac becoming a, a wealthy man that was the forefather of God's own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see him fulfilling those things. Isaac's life is still today having an impact on literally millions worldwide through his offspring, Jesus. 
So you and I need to learn from Abraham's example this morning. I want to give you very quickly four elements, if we will, of giving our children back to God. What does it mean to give your children back to God? Number one, and I I really want you to grasp this. This isn't some method, but uh, it's just something that I think for you to consider. Number one, it's confirmation of your love for God. The first thing you are saying when you give that child back to the Lord is simply this. I love you, Father, more than I love this child. I I love the giver more than I love the gifts. I love the blesser more than the blessings. And I trust him because I'm, I'm confirming, God, there's nothing in my life. I said this last week. If you put your child before God, that is an idolatrous thing because you're putting them in the place of God. And when you do that, you make of yourself an idolater and you teach your children to worship themselves. Our country is rampant with that mindset these days. Oh, we got to do this for the kids, for the kids, for the kids. We want them to have it better than we had. And I scratch my head and say, how? By giving them everything their whims and wishes desire? I mean, I'm just being honest, and I'm not being, you know, old school cranky and saying, well, in the good old days it was this way, but but our parents taught us some things about authority. And when you cave to every whim and every wish of your kids, I've got grandparents in here shaking their heads and saying, oh, preach it, preacher, I want to give this CD to my kids so they can give it to my grandkids. Because when we cave to every whim and wish that that kid desires, we're teaching them to worship themselves. My parents told us no at times. They had the resource to get us whatever it was that we wanted at that time. And they said no simply because they said no. And there were times that because I said so was a valid answer. And we didn't question that. Now again, this isn't about old school parenting versus new. This goes back to Genesis 22. Abram could have said, but he is my boy. He's my son. I've waited so long. What will his mother think? We don't even get her opinion in this. He just says, God told me, so he rose up and he went. And he said, with faith, we're going to go and we're going to come back. And he went. He cut the wood. He sharpened the knife. He had everything. The fire is ready. I'm going to obey the Lord. It was confirmation of his love for the Lord. I think it's incredible that this test really was to demonstrate for Abraham's sake that he could be trusted. You see, as he raised the knife, you know the story as we move on through the text. And for time's sake, we simply come to this place. He tied him. He bound that young boy. I, I almost have it in my mind that he reaches up under the armpits of this little boy. And Isaac perhaps hugged him. Oh, Dad. And as he did, he, he wasn't reaching for an embrace. He was reaching to hold him to tie him to the altar. Let the weight of that emotion wash over you. Lord, I trust you. And my actions demonstrate confirmation of my love for you. Oh, how we could apply this across so many boards. Your actions speak louder than your words. Your life preaches louder than your lips. My second sermon here, I use this. My fourth grade Sunday school teacher, South 28th Avenue Baptist Church, taught me this phrase. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. I'm not going to say it again because I got it right the first time. Your walk talks a whole lot louder than your talk. 
Oh, I love the Lord. Well, then why are you inconsistent in reading scripture or praying or attending church or witnessing or leading your family in worship or praying intentionally for your children. Uh, Scott Pittman and I were talking about this this morning uh, after last week's sermon and this is one of those moments where God just began to apply a message to me after the fact. I'd been living with Ephesians 3 for some time and I just found myself overwhelmed by this sense. I need to pray for my children like never before. But I need to confirm my love for God. Not that I have to prove it. It's not a works-based thing. It's that I believe so emphatically that my belief leads to behavior. That my faith works. Real faith works. I'm not saved by works. I'm saved by faith. But the only saving faith there is is faith that works. It demonstrates itself in obedience. And if you're not obeying the Lord, you need to ask yourself, am I believing in the Lord? It's confirmation of your love for the Lord. Secondly, I want you to see this. Not only is it confirmation, giving your children to the Lord, it's clarification of ownership. When you give your child back to the Lord, you're openly declaring, this child is a gift from God. This child does not belong to me. This child belongs to God. You have the privilege to love and to train this child, but the child is not Yours. And again, I don't care if your child is six months, six years, or 66 years. Every point of the way, you can continue to pray for. You can continue to dedicate them. And some of you would give great testimony of how you prayed a prodigal back home. How you trusted the Lord and said, Lord, they're yours, not mine. You'll have to turn their heart, not me. And, and what, did the, what did the father do there in the book of Luke? He deemed it wisest to wait. He didn't chase after him. He didn't go after him and nag him. He just said he's going to have to come on his own. And it is a beautiful picture. It says while he was still a far ways off, the father saw him. He never stopped looking. He never stopped longing. But that son had to come to his senses. And out in the pig pen, he came to his senses and said, In my father's house, even the servants eat better than I'm eating. I'm going to go back and surrender myself there. And he got to the place where he needed to be all along. It's not only a sense of confirmation, but it's a sense of clarification, of ownership. Listen, that little boy, that little girl, these that have been dedicated, they don't really belong to these families. They are precious gifts from God on loan. Scribble down somewhere, Psalm 127.3. Just write that down. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. They're a gift from God. We better be careful. Let me say this. If our kids are a heritage from the Lord, we better be careful how we treat God's property. Amen? When God said through Malachi, the people were robbing God, they were taking that which God had said, dedicate to me. Set aside a tenth, your first fruits. They were robbing God. Think about that. We teach kids. We don't want kids running in the sanctuary. We don't want kids doing this, that, or the other. We try to teach because this is God's house. What about the other things in our life that belong to the Lord that we're willing to slide on? Interesting. It's a confirmation and a clarification. Number three, giving your children back to the Lord is a commitment to raise your children God's way. 
Listen, to give your child to God is not just a ceremony that we do once like this. This is an important first step, and I'm thankful for these families, but it's a commitment to say, yes, I'm going to be a godly parent, and I'm going to teach them of Christ, and I'm going to take them to Christ, and I'm going to love this child and pray for this child and train them up in the ways they should go. I'm going to live a righteous life before them. You see, I, I think some people think that a baby dedication somehow is a magical ceremony. It, it somehow has now invoked the, the protective blessing of God. Well, we've dedicated our child. We gave. No, it's a daily deal. I, I, I want to have this mindset like Joshua had as they were finishing up the conquest. He said, you, you serve who you want, but let me just tell you, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a confirmation it's a clarification of ownership. It's a commitment to Christ. Let me finish this up. Giving your children back to the Lord is a claiming of God's plan and promise for that child's life. Now, let me say this. I have watched many a person in my 48 years on this earth. I've watched many people that have grown up from horrible circumstances, and they overcame those circumstances. I've also watched many people that grew up in godly, wonderful homes and they lost their minds and ran off the rails and, and literally just seemed to go crazy in worldliness. We've all seen both. My encouragement to you is to understand this, that God does have a design plan and purpose for them to walk in holiness and to walk in His blessing, but it's not a guarantee. But my idea is very simply this, that in Genesis 22, as we move on 15 to 18, your children are blessed by your obedience to God and cursed by your disobedience to God. They, they do have free will, but you can stack the odds in their favor as you help them to understand and see the principles of godliness. As you obey God with your life, as I obey God with my life, and I dedicate my life to the Lord, then I begin to see posturing that child to receive God's very best. Think about it with me in terms of Abraham. Very simply, and I'll wrap it up here. Those four points, those four ideas in this story, Abraham was confirming his love and fear of Jehovah. God, I don't understand why you want me to do this, but I trust you. Abraham was clarifying, Isaac doesn't belong to me. He belongs to you. Abraham was committing to be a godly parent. Obedience trumps understanding. And Abraham was claiming God's plan and his promises for Isaac. You, you have laid this out, God. Your desire is this, and so as I give him to you, I give him to you to fulfill through him what you have promised. And for all of us as we consider every area of our lives, children, grandchildren, our time, our talent, our resources, we submit those things, we dedicate them, we give them back to the Lord. There's a word that has really marked much of what I call people to in discipleship and ministry, intentionality. Our staff hear that word all the time. Let's do things intentionally. Let's be focused on doing things for the right reason, the right way, intentionally. I want to challenge you this morning. I know that you could walk away from this and say, yep, I, I need to do better. I need to do more. I need to surrender deeper. Why don't you today take intentional steps of dedication? 
Maybe there's somebody here who has never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never said, I want to dedicate myself. I want to give myself to the Lord. That's the first and foremost call to Abraham. And it's the call to you as a parent. Give yourself. We didn't do a baby dedication this morning. It was a family dedication. Did you see the commitments I asked them to commit to? By God's grace, we will live a certain way. And you said it too. By God's grace, we'll help. You made that commitment. Today, be intentional. Maybe you need to come to the altar. You know, I, I think one of the things that, that is lacking oftentimes is a genuine movement of people, not just to the altar, but in a Godward direction. And my encouragement to you is take advantage of these steps. I, I think that the, the most expensive bill in our church ought to be the water bill because we're seeing people saved and we're filling that baptistry over and over again. And I think another one that we perhaps need to start investing in is new carpet at the altar because we wear it out with our tears and with our knees. That we come to the place of saying, God, no more games. I don't want to just walk out of here unscathed. I want to dedicate myself to you. And that's not a bummer. It's not a bad thing. It's a blessing. Repentance and obedience is a blessing. You see, what happened? This ram was caught in the thicket. God provided. And he showed that there would be one who would die as a substitute for another. You and I should have all died on that mountain. We should be separated for every eternity, for, uh, for all eternity from God. And yet Christ was the one who was provided for us. And he died in our stead, in your place. He paid a debt that you owed and could not pay. He gave it out of his sinless, substitutionary death and vicarious, wonderful, glorious resurrection has given to you and to me the opportunity for eternal life. Trust him today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this day. I pray that even now that you would speak to hearts and lives and that we would deepen our commitment to you, our surrender to you, our desire to give not just our children but everything back to you. Have your way during this invitation time in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite everybody.